oh, this is a good scripture, friends, and there is more than we can get into in just one Sunday morning and one sermon. So I want to be sure to remind you so that you know we do have a Bible study each week. We're meeting Tuesdays at 1 o'clock here at the church over the passages that we are encountering each week um, in worship. And so there is a little booklet that you can find at the name tag table out in the narthex. We send it out by email as well with some reflection questions, daily readings, if you'd like those as well. And if you'd like a group to get dive into these with, we'd be glad to have you jump in and join any week. Now, friends, let us begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. It was the bread that puzzled me. I mean, what is so wrong with a little bit of bread when you're hungry? There was a a brief stir in international news for, I don't know, about a day, when six years ago, back in the summer of 2016, an Italian court, overturned the conviction of a young man who had been charged with stealing food. His name was Roman Ostriakov. He was homeless and hungry when he pocketed a piece of cheese and a few sausages in a supermarket and then tried to leave with them. Another customer saw him and called him to the attention of the store, and he was arrested. The total cost of the cheese and the sausages was a few cents over four euros. An American $5 bill would have covered the entire cost. Ostriakov was convicted of theft and sentenced to six months in prison and a fine of 100 euros. His lawyers appealed on the grounds that it was actually attempted theft because he had never left the store when they caught him. And so Italy's Supreme Court reviewed his case and they made a surprising decision. The law cannot ask anyone to do the impossible, the court determined, and so it should not criminalize taking a small amount of food in the face of an immediate and essential need for nourishment. Because he was starving, they could not criminalize the taking of a bit of cheese and a few sausages. This news story was shared far and wide for that day, maybe two days, as everyone seemed to delight in a legal system that would prioritize people and care for the most vulnerable among us. One commentator noted that this was a historic ruling built on a concept that has informed the Western world for centuries, a concept known as humanity. Now, as it turns out, it wasn't a perfect story. It was a ruling by a court, not a law that was passed. In the Italian legal system, a single ruling by a court doesn't necessarily set a precedent that any other courts have to follow. And the theft was only ever four euros, and yet still resulted in a case that moved through the court system for five years before it was overturned. And while Ostrikov wasn't charged at the end of five years, neither did the courts offer any assistance to the homeless man, and none of the news stories indicated that he had been granted any kindness except for not being fined and not being thrown in jail. But still, for a day, the world united around the idea that the starving should be fed, no matter what it might take to obtain the food they needed. And so tell me, what could be so wrong with turning a few stones into bread? 
As Matthew tells the story, Jesus is led up out of the water of the Jordan River and off into the wilderness to wait for the devil. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is driven by the Spirit in the desert, as if the dove that descended from the heavens suddenly began diving after Jesus, squawking and pecking, and Jesus had to cover his head with his cloak and run into the desert until the Spirit finally left him alone. But in Matthew, it's a measured movement. Jesus is led, perhaps by the hand. He walks until he is surrounded by nothing but miles of empty landscape, when finally he sits and he waits First a day, and then two, and then three, and then finally 40 days and 40 nights waiting. And that is when the tempter arrives. He couldn't have come any earlier, because there's no point in trying to tempt someone who's full. The tempter knows that we have to be hungry to be tempted. We have to be restless with the persistent growling of an empty stomach yearning to be filled with something, anything, before we'll take any interest in anything that the tempter has to offer. Forty days and forty nights, and when the hunger strikes, so does the temptation. Since you are the Son of God, the tempter said, command these stones to become bread. It's a suggestion from an unsavory source, but he's not wrong about who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, or the fact that Jesus is hungry. He's right three times over, and the only question remaining seems to be, what's so wrong with a little bread when you're hungry? But Jesus refuses to take the bait, and he quietly unravels the trap laid for him, hidden right in front of us in a citation From the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, Jesus says, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. And this is more than just some verbal deflection with a conveniently related standalone scripture. It's a sudden window back into Deuteronomy, into another story very much like this one. A turn back to another desert when a people led through the waters of the Red Sea started complaining to their leader Moses about being hungry. Matthew has been setting this stage from nearly the very beginning. It's no accident that in Matthew, Jesus' birth is a story about an infant hidden from a wicked ruler who is murdering baby boys in a jealous rage. That sounds like Moses' story. It's no accident that in Matthew, Jesus flees with his family to Egypt. That's Moses' story. And now he has returned, passing through the waters, and finds himself in the desert, hungry and tempted. In the story recounted by Deuteronomy, you can also find it in Exodus, the Israelites falter in the test. As their hunger grows, their resolve crumbles, and they beg to be returned to Egypt, where they were enslaved and oppressed, but at least they were fed. They were ready to trade their whole lives for a bit of comfort which is hardly a fair trade, and yet one we might all understand. Hunger is uncomfortable, an enduring irritation that begs to be addressed. It would take 40 years in the desert for them to learn a lesson we might all have to learn a few times over. Bread might stave off the hunger for a moment, but only God can bring us to life. They hadn't realized that they were hungry, but not starving. 
that they were uncomfortable but not dying, that by putting all of their energy into, the, into avoiding the hardship of the moment, they were wrestling their very lives out of God's hands and casting them away. They had to learn what Jesus knew. It's okay to be uncomfortable for a time while waiting on God. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Our text over-translates a bit here and says he was starving. But he wasn't starving, starving. I mean, famished, maybe ravenous, incredibly hungry. Forty days and forty nights is a long time. He was uncomfortable with hunger, but not dying. And Jesus knew the difference. The tempter waited until he thought Jesus might be tempted to react like he was starving. And then he asked, what's so wrong with a little bread when you're hungry? But Jesus might well have answered, what's so wrong with being a little hungry while waiting on God? And the temptations continue, and they expand in scale, but the heart of the question stays the same. The devil takes Jesus to the highest point in the holy city of Jerusalem and proves that anyone can hold the Bible hostage and repurpose it for their agenda. And he quotes a psalm talking about how God will send angels to protect someone. And this was the same temptation faced by the Israelites in the desert when their discomfort drove them to worry and they wondered whether God was really with them or not because God hadn't shown up in a while. And so what could be wrong with a test to prove that God is really there? But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Again, don't test the Lord your God. It's, un- it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to wait on God. Then the devil brought Jesus to a mountain so tall that they could see all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. It was the rightful heritage for the Son of God, a temptation that would only work if Jesus were hungry for it. Think of all the good you can do if you ruled everything, the tempter might have whispered. Why not now? It's a temptation that follows Jesus, spoken once in Peter's voice, and Jesus responds the same way both times. Go away, Satan, get behind me, Satan, he says. The Israelites knew this same temptation at a mountain when Moses was away for too long and they started to grow restless and uncomfortable. God was unknowable, too unpredictable, working on nobody's timeline and leaving the people of God to wait for longer than left them comfortable. So they melted gold and they made a calf. Here is the God who rescued you from Egypt, the leaders announced to the people tired of waiting, and they all bowed down and worshipped the golden idol together. It was another lesson to be learned, captured again, in Deuteronomy. And so Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him. It's okay to steal bread if you're starving to death, the Italian Supreme Court ruled, and Christian theology would agree it is good and it is right to preserve life above all else. But we must know As a people of luxury, in a society built for our comforts, there is a difference between hungry and starving. And it might be good to be hungry for a while.
the Spirit might well lead us all into the desert for a season. The best growth and lessons learned seem to come in the desert. It might be the desert found in a hospital waiting room or the depths of unemployment paperwork. It might be the sort of desert when we find ourselves alone with no company but our own labored breathing. It might be the desert of lost hopes or shattered dreams of pain or difficulty. The desert, wilderness, can come in many shapes and sizes, but always with one frustrating similarity, discomfort. Discomfort in a place where whatever it is we normally use to satisfy our fickle desires is missing, nowhere to be found, and so we are left with nothing but a life far more real than we would ever wish it to be. And in the desert, in the wilderness... The question might be put to us, are we willing to trade our lives away for escape, or can we sit for a season? Can we be uncomfortable for a moment and wait on the only one who can really give our life back to us? On this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, we might remember that the biggest hurdle Dr. King faced may well have been a people who were glad to address the troubles of their society as long as they didn't have to feel uncomfortable about it. But how can we see the world as God sees it without enduring a bit of discomfort? The great majority of Americans, Dr. King said once, are uneasy with injustice but unwilling yet to pay a significant price to eradicate it. Friends, if we look too closely at the world around us, it may well make us uncomfortable. For every satisfying story of a starving family given food to survive, there's another three families that feel the criminalization of poverty who are prosecuted and charged and punished for stealing the food they need to feed their quickly fading children. The temptation is to return to our comfort, to seek out anything that settles the Spirit, but the Spirit of God leads us to the wilderness, invites us to sit with the discomfort of injustice and wrongs present in the world, and to wait on the Lord. Only there might we lose our appetite for all of the things that cannot save us and come out ready to serve God and only God all the remaining days of our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, let us continue in worship as we stand and sing together.